0: Yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. 28 verses 9 and 10 says whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine and then he answers them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts for precept must be upon precept precept upon precept line upon line here a little and there a little If you're serious about your walk with God, and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word, line upon line. Hebrews chapter 7 and this is the chapter where Paul really gets into his subject of the high priesthood of Melchizedek he's been leading up to it over the last couple of weeks last couple of chapters and now he's really gonna get into it in chapter 7 so let's say a word of prayer and let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say to us about the high priesthood of Melchizedek our Heavenly Father we come before you and we're just ever so grateful to you Lord for you for Jesus Christ for your truth for your word your ancient word which we still have access to today we thank you for it we pray father that as we study it that you will deepen our conviction that you will heighten our courage and just help us father to be faithful to the end we thank you so much for this wonderful book of hebrews and ask your blessing on our study now and we ask this father in the wonderful name of our high priest jesus christ amen so brethren as i mentioned we're in uh, chapter seven What I want to do just before I open up with chapter seven, though, is just again, like I like to do, just go back a little bit to get the context. And here I want to get the context of uh, the Apostle Paul just leading up to this great subject of Melchizedek. And he says here, we introduced it in chapter five, where he said that Jesus Christ was called of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he introduced that he introduces this order. Of Melchizedek which is very different from the previous orders of priesthood and then he said this of whom speaking of Melchizedek we have many things to say this is a big big subject and it's quite interesting because the Bible does not have a lot to say about Melchizedek it speaks of him in Genesis in chapter 14 which we'll look at for context and it speaks of him in the Psalms in psalm 110 and that's it and yet the apostle paul says he's got a lot to say about this subject he says of whom we have many things to say but it's hard to be uttered why seeing you are dull of hearing so this is a big topic it's a big subject Uh, the problem is with the hebrews that they don't want to hear this truth they want to turn their back on jesus christ they want to go back to judaism And and this this is a a spiritual problem that the apostle perceives in them and and sees that they're turning their ears away from the truth. And so he says this this is going to be very difficult to cover such a big, such a substantive uh, topic uh, with people who don't want to hear, who don't want to commit to the truth. And so they'd rather pretend that they don't understand the truth so that they don't have to be obligated by it now why Paul has so much to say about this topic about which the Bible really has very little to say my um, theory on this is really what he said to us in 2nd Corinthians 12 twelve, two, where he says I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago and whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell God knows so this vision that he had was so real he's not sure if in fact it was just a vision or if he was actually transported somewhere and saw this with his own eyes, but either way, he really, this person really experienced this truth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. So he just doesn't know, was it a vision that I had or did I actually go to the third heaven? He says, God knows. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. He repeats this again. It was just so real to him. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which, is, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So in other words, he had a depth of knowledge and a breadth of knowledge that human beings don't have access to. And he came back to earth, living with human beings, teaching human beings, but a lot of it he had to keep to himself. And so to me, this is the explanation as to why Paul can elaborate so much on the priesthood of Melchizedek when so little is said of him in the Scriptures. Coming back to Hebrews, uh, coming up to chapter 7. Last week we were in Hebrews 6, where we read, "...for men truly swear by the greater." So whenever we want to confirm and, and validate or credentialize what it is we're saying, we will swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So when people are brought into court, they'll ask them, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and they'll ask them to swear on the Bible. Now, Christians, we don't swear, we will affirm, our word is good, uh, but here, this is to end all strife. They want it, they want people to swear. Somebody will say, I swear on my mother's grave, or I swear, they'll swear on something greater than themselves, or in this case, they'll take an oath and then that's the end of strife we can really take them at their word because of the um, oath or the the commitment that they've made now so an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife wherein god willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath so, this confirmation that God swore by himself, he did it, he, he, he did it not so much for Abraham, as it, the scripture is telling us, but for us, for, for the Hebrews and those grafted into the Hebrews, the, the, the Hebrew tribe. Wherein God willing more abundantly, he really wanted to do this to show unto the heirs of promise the unchangeability of his counsel, his plan. Nothing, no one anywhere can change God's plan. So whatever mankind wants to do, let him do. And, and Psalms two tells us that kings are gonna be confederate together and they're gonna to try to overthrow the Lord and the Lord just laughs at them. That God will will work his plan regardless. And to really show us to have confidence in the promise, this is why he, he uh, more abundantly to show the heirs Of promise the immutability of his counsel he confirmed it by an oath so he made this promise and then he confirmed the promise by an oath for our sake that by two immutable things so it is not just the fact that he made a promise it's 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 not I mean the promise of God is enough because it's impossible for God to lie but then he swore an oath on top of the promise so that by two immutable things two things that cannot change god cannot lie so when he makes the promise that's that's solid and he cannot lie so when he makes an oath that's solid and he put the oath on top of the promise so by two immutable things in which it was impossible for god to lie we it's for us we might have strong consolation or confidence and and comfort who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope Set before us. So there is a hope that is set before us. And now, because of the unchangeability, the immutability of God's word and his promise and his oath, we're confident. And so now we understand this promise and we can look to the future, the fulfillment of the promise in the future, with all confidence and, and, and a, a full assurance of hope. And so we and, and the Hebrews here were under severe persecution. Just as we've been looking into the book of Revelation and Christ telling us ahead of time that severe persecution is gonna come upon his people in the end time. The Hebrews were facing severe persecution and Paul is telling us that our refuge or telling them that their refuge is in this hope that is set before us. It's not in going back to Judaism. And, and within a few years, the temple and all of that would be destroyed. And so that was a false hope or a false comfort. The, the solid comfort was to take comfort in the promise and the word of God, the oath of God. And so he says that they have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. The same way Abraham, even though he was ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, he never gave up hope. He, he laid hell, he, he held on to the hope set before him because of the promise of God. In the same way, God promises us eternal life. He promises us the kingdom. He promises us to inherit the land. And so even though we might lose our life, that does not change our hope. We are, that this hope is set before us. And he says here, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. So this is what anchors us in tribulation. people are panicking and tossed to and fro. The Hebrews should not panic. The Hebrews have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil so this hope is our Lord and and he is an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which enters into that within the veil where the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus and now he says it again he introduced it in in chapter 5 he says it again here where the forerunner is for us he goes ahead of us he's the pioneer of our salvation he has entered even Jesus So he's entered in behind the veil, made a high priest forever, forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus Christ has been made a high priest. It's hard for us to grasp this notion of forever, but he's a high priest on into eternity. That is his role into eternity. And it's a different type of high priest it's a high priest after the order of melchizedek and paul says that he has a lot to say about this subject and so this is what's going to he's going to introduce it in chapter 1 but where it says that christ is the forerunner and he's made a high priest after the order of melchizedek he's the pioneer of our salvation and that matches with what we read in revelation where it says he has made us kings and priests so he's made a king or he is a king and he's made a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he's the forerunner, he's the pioneer. He's leading us into salvation, and he's going to make us kings and priests of that same order of Melchizedek. It's an eternal order, it's a priesthood, and it's a kingship combined. And so Christ is king and priest combined, and he's going to make us kings and priests combined, which is the gospel, which is the promise that was made originally to the ancient Israelites which they failed under the old covenant and now it's being uh, granted to the Israelites under the new covenant and all those grafted into Israel will be made kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen as the high priest forever and ever so all of that now leads up to chapter 7 where he now introduces that he wants to get into his topic uh, fully now he says for this Melchizedek king of Salem priest of the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the Kings and blessed him so this is how he introduces Melchizedek that he is the king of Salem he's the priest of the Most High God and he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the Kings and he blessed him so first of all we want to see here that he's the king of Salem and we know from Psalm 76 and verse 2 that God dwells in in Salem. He says, in Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. So Jerusalem is the city of peace. Salem meaning peace, Jerusalem city of. So Jerusalem is the city of peace. And that's where David established his throne, established his kingdom. But what we see here from, from the Psalms is that God dwells in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been chosen as God's dwelling place on earth, then is really the corridor between heaven and earth. In, in a sense, you could say it's the belly button of earth, but it's really the spiritual umbilical cord, what would, because Adam cut us off from God. So you can say it's the belly button of earth, but really it should be this, the umbilical cord and it's what connects heaven and earth. And so in Salem also is his dwelling place. And so in Revelation, when we get to 21:22, we see that God makes his dwelling place on earth in Salem. His dwelling place is in Zion. So he's the, So this tells us in, in uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, sorry, chapter 7, that Melchizedek is the king of Salem. <clears throat> and at the time of Abraham, the Jebusites, who were pagans, they dwelt in Salem. And so we know that he couldn't be the king of the Jebusites, but he's the king of Salem. And so there's something that, we, that Paul wants us to understand here now let's go back to chapter 14 we'll read it quickly but I want to read the whole chapter just so that we have the whole context of what Paul is talking about so in chapter 14 and verse 1 so we can see this slaughter of the kings and and uh, Melchizedek blessing Abraham or Abram at the time and it came to pass in the days of Amraphel king of Shinar so we know Shinar is, is Babylon And that's where all the people gathered and where they tried to build the tower and God prevented it and then they all had to spread out. But they all have this same Nimrod agenda of domination and conquest and and, and ultimately global control. So that, God confused the language, but he didn't take the ideology away from them. They just went to their different lands with the same ideology, just they couldn't communicate with each other. But they still had this notion of having subjects and, and, and conquering human beings as the work of the devil really and it came to pass in the days of amraphel king of shinar Arioch, king of elisar shader king of elam and we're going to see that shader is actually the leader of this confederation but here he is the king of elam and Tidal, king of nations that these there's four kings here these made war with bera king of sodom and Bursha, king of gomorrah shinab king of admah and Shimabar, or Shimabar, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bila, which is Zoar. So now these four kings come and they're making uh, uh, war with these five kings, and it's all about global conquest. And, and we're so foolish today, where we're trying to have this, we believe in this world with you know no borders, let's not have nations anymore, let's have uh, you know, these African migrants They called migrants coming into Europe coming into North America don't believe our values don't believe in 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 Jesus Christ and just have them come and just multiply and just over time just through demographics I mean at least the king of Egypt when he had the Israelites multiplying around him he had enough foresight to say demographically if this continues we're gonna be outnumbered we better deal wisely with these Israelites but we're so foolish we can't look ahead and just through simple mathematics say, demographically, we are destroying ourselves. If, if we take uh, people in third world who, again, they're just reproducing, there's no end of reproduction, so they can supply human beings ongoingly, and we just reduce all of our borders, or, or eliminate our borders, and uh, <laughs> we don't understand this Nimrod agenda, which has been at play for thousands of years, and now in this final chapter of mankind, Uh, the Nimrod agenda is flexing its muscle and looking for full global domination and control. But here we see this confederation looking for control, looking for subjugation. And so there's war now in order to gain conquest, gain more land. All these were joined together in the valley of Sidim, which is the Salt Sea. 12 years they served Shadur Lamar. So he's the leader of the confederation. And in the 13th year, they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came shador Lamar and the kings that were with him. So he built this alliance. As they come and they smote the Refims in Ashtaroth, Carnaim. So obviously, this land is named after their god Ashtaroth. And Zuzims in Ham. And the Emims in Sheva Kiriathim, And the Horites in their Mount Seir. And El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned. And came to Enmishpat, Mishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites. These are the domination and the subjugation of others and the conquest. And, and this this is the agenda. And it has always been the agenda of mankind. And again, how foolish we are to think that it's anything other than this. But they're, they're serious. They've put together quite a force. And they are just expanding their horizons and expanding their... their, their uh, their their purview and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazazon Tamar and there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the king of Zeboam and the king of Bela, the same as Zor and they joined battle with them in the Valley of Sidim. so they're beginning to realize you know at some point you wake up and you realize we're in big trouble here we need to form another alliance and push back. With a Shadol, Shadolimar, the king of Elam, with title king of nations, and Emraphel king of Shinar, and Ariyok, king of Elassar, four kings with five. And the valley of Siddim was full of slime pits. So this is just a detail that Moses is giving us that will help us understand what happened and and how it happened so this valley has these these slime pits it looks like it's going to be difficult for you to if you have horses or or uh, carriages you're going to get into trouble in these slime pits and the kings of sodom and gomorrah fled and fell there and they that remained fled to the mountain so that seemed to be a significant disadvantage to these kings in terms of trying to navigate the slime pits and, and falling into trouble and so these other, these, uh, other kings then come and, and are able to take the goods. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. So complete conquest. They've taken everything. They've taken the people as well. And they took lot. Now this battle, we would, we would know nothing about it. There are many battles in history. Uh, it's just the way of man. It's this, this, again, this Nimrod agenda. It's been ever since uh, the beginning. But we hear about this battle, and it's documented because of this mistake that they made. They took Lot, Abraham's brother's son. So Lot was Abraham's nephew who dwelt in Sodom. And we're familiar with that story as to how he came to Sodom. He, He dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So they took Lot, they took his goods, and they left. And there came one that had escaped. So fortunately, this one escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite. So that's where this Hebrew dwelt. Brother of Eshcol and brother of Enar. So uh, this Amorite was dwelling in this place, or yes, and then he, uh, Abram is known as Abram the Hebrew, and he was, he was dwelling there. These were confederate with Abram. So Abram realized he's got to go and recover his brother, and so they form an alliance with him probably their neighbors with him and they realize these guys are going to expand into our territory as well so it's probably in their best interest to join forces with abram and when abram heard that his brother was taken captive he armed his trained servants and people will question this and say oh the bible is confused first it says he's his nephew now it says it's his brother and so we'll, we'll deal with that when abram heard that his brother was taken captive he armed his trained servants born in his own house so he had he was able to arm his servants 318 and pursued them unto Dan so these kings were not like kings today that have millions and millions of subjects they'd be more like perhaps mayors of towns today and so they would have their armed soldiers uh, Abram's servants are trained military training and so they now go 318 of them are now pursuing unto Dan and Abram said unto Lot, oh, sorry, I just want to go back to the, the brother. So, just one chapter before, Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray you, between me and you, and between your herdmen and my herdmen, for we are brothers. So, Abram, even though it was his nephew, because they shared the same faith, and, and Lot was a righteous man, uh, Abraham was a righteous man, uh, Abram saw him as his, his brother, his, his brother in the faith. But he was his nephew. So again, these people who have all these criticisms of the Bible is quite simple. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them. So he had good strategy. He smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And again, this is the agenda. It's always about conquest, subjugation, slavery. Uh, we can't be so foolish today. It's incredible. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Shadar Lamar. So the king of Sodom lost his people, lost his goods. And now he's gotten news that Abram has recovered the goods, recovered the people. And so the king of Sodom and Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of lamar So Shadarlamar was some big name back then, and he was the leader of this confederation, but he got slaughtered by Abram, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shava, which is the King's Dale. And Melchizedek, so King of Sodom went out to meet him, but now Moses writes Melchizedek, king of Salem brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of the most high god so he's the king and he's the priest and he's the king of salem and so this is very clearly a spiritual figure this is a uh they call it a theophany an appearance of god and he and this is this uh we had our deacon do a sermon for us where he proved very conclusively that this was a passover service and he took the passover With And he just technically went through and showed the timing of all of this. But here he took the bread and the wine, and he had this feast with Abram. And he blessed him. So Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God. So he clearly knows this is the priest of the Most High God. And he's now blessing Abram. Possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God which has delivered your enemies into your hand so Abram with his 318 trained servants actually had spiritual help in slaughtering this mighty confederation and now notice this and and Paul is gonna make a big deal of this that he gave him tithes of all so tithes is not he he did not um, so after this slaughter he did not just uh, give him an offering. Some people uh, like to say that uh, Abram made an offering to Melchizedek, it's not an offering, it's a tithe. He gave him tithes of all. So after, after this mighty battle, and there was a lot of um, goods captured, then it's, the scripture is very clear, this was not an offering, it's a tithe. And why this is so important, is an offering is voluntary. We decide how much to give as an offering. As we've been blessed, we, 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 we bless. But a tithe is a tenth. It's a tenth of our, our gain, and it's commanded. So it, it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. And and many people think that they can uh, fool around with the tithe, and some even will say, well, you know, the, the law was done away, so tithing was done away, but here, this is long before the Mosaic law. Moses is in, Moses is in the loins of, of Abram. So this is a command that Abraham understood. And when the priest of the Most High God showed up, it was an obligation to give him the tithes. And so he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, so remember these two kings have met him, so Melchizedek but also the king of Sodom, said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to yourself. So Abram made sure that he gave all the tithes to Melchizedek. And now Sodom is saying, Just give me back my people. We'll rebuild. I just, just give me back my people. You can keep the goods. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the Possessor of heaven and earth that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. So uh, Abraham understood very clearly the promises that he has from God, and he does not want anybody in any way to interfere with the understanding that he is a man that's blessed by God, and that everything that he amasses comes to him from God directly. So he says i don't want anything now except only that which the young men have eaten so we we went out to battle for you a lot of these young men are athletes they're hungry they have to eat so that's you know that's their due that's appropriate the the workman is worthy of his hire so we'll only take that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me Anner, eshkal and Mamre. so these were not in his Hebrew, in his household, these were the neighbors. And so go ahead and and give the neighbors, let them take their portion, but but my men will just take what they needed to eat and nothing else from you. So let's come back. So that's the context of the slaughter of the kings that Paul is referring to here as he speaks of Melchizedek. And so he says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, and so there is this higher order Uh, it's like uh, the devil is was referred to as the king of Persia or the king of Tyre but there was clearly a physical king of Tyre but there was a spiritual oversight and so here uh, Salem was populated by the Jebusites at this time but God has chosen Salem and he's the king of Salem and so Paul understands very clearly that Melchizedek is not just high priest he's king of Salem priest of the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So helped him slaughter the kings and then blessed him. But he goes on now. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. This is commanded. This was not, oh, I think a a nice thing to do would be to give a tenth. Abraham is under obligation to give his tithe. So, So this man met Abraham and Abraham was obligated to give him a tenth of everything. And then Paul says, first, being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem. So he introduces him here in verse one as king of Salem. But he makes sure that we're clear as we're as the audience that he's speaking to, we need to be clear that before he's the king of Salem, he's the king of righteousness. Being by interpretation, uh, Melchizedek, that is Melek, meaning king, and Zedek, meaning righteousness, Melek Zedek. So Melchizedek, like before we go anywhere, understand this is the king of righteousness. This can be none other than God himself. You know, we're very clear about who the prince of darkness is. We need to be very clear about who the king of righteousness is. And so Paul wants us to be very clear that first and foremost, he's the king of righteousness. And after being the king of righteousness, Which no human being could ever have that title then he's also after that he's also the king of Salem which is king of peace and you can only truly have peace with righteousness any other peace is temporary but eternal peace comes from the king of righteousness and if we look at Isaiah's prophecy that unto the Hebrews unto Israel a child is born and unto Israel a son is given And the government shall be upon his shoulder he's a king and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty god he is god the everlasting father the prince of peace so he is the king of peace as well he's the king of righteousness and he's the king of peace now paul really wants to drive this home and so now he says without father (laughs) without mother so so he, he is now Looking at the genealogy of Melchizedek, and it's not you know some people are going to say that this means um, when when it says without uh, without father that it is um, it means that his father was not documented. There's no documentation. So as we have you know you go to uh, ancestry.com and you try to find your lineage and you can document your lineage. Uh, Melchizedek, well it, it wasn't documented. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is, Melchizedek, uh, the the Greek is apator. So pater meaning father, apator, whenever they put an alpha, it means not. There's no father. Amator. there's no mother. uh, uh, Without descent, that is, uh, an an, an, agoniliagatus without genealogy. So that he has no father, he has no mother, there's no genealogy that springs from him. He, he does not have beginning of days, nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abides a priest continually. I mean, this is, verse three is pretty clear language that this Melchizedek, whom Abraham was obligated to give a 10th of all to, and that would be quite quite a lot. He was obligated to give all of that to him. They had the Passover service together. He does not have a father. It's not that it's not documented it's that he doesn't have one he does not have a mother there's no genealogy that springs from him having neither beginning of days nor end of life there's no beginning and there's no end but made like unto the son of god abides a priest continually now some people will push back and say "Ah, oh, it doesn't say he's the son of god it just says he's made like unto the it's like an analogy it's like unto the son of god But we have to be careful with language here made like unto the Son of God is a phrase that is used repeatedly in the scripture. Here in Daniel 3, where Nebuchadnezzar sees four men walking in the fire, uh, he says the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Actually, it was the Son of God. In, in Jan, Daniel 7 and verse uh, 13, uh, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. It was the Son of Man. It's just the way the Hebrew turn of phrase. In Revelation, we see, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. It was the Son of Man. Again, there's this sort of Hebrew turn of phrase in Revelation 14, 14. uh, Behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. So so let's not be sidetracked by the phrase, like unto the Son of God. It's just a Hebrew uh, turn of phrase. So now he says, now consider how great this, it says man in the English, but that's not what it says in the Greek. It's just now consider how great this was, or consider how great this one was. Uh, How great unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the 10th of the spoils. And again, the the notion here of the 10th was the patriarch had no choice. The, The patriarch was under a commandment To give a tenth of everything he had to this Melchizedek and so Paul is saying to the Hebrews I want you to think about how great Melchizedek must be when in our theology the greatest man is Abraham all the promises begin He, he is the true patriarch all the promises begin with him and look at this Melchizedek is superior to Abraham so consider how great this, this one was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of all the spoils. And truly, they that, now, now he's going even, he's extending it now, so uh, look how great he was, Abraham, paid him tithes. And truly, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of all the people according to the law. You don't mess around with the tithe the tithe is holy it belongs to god and there's this commandment that the tithe must be taken from the people and the people must give the tithe to the priesthood that is of their brethren though they come out of the loins of abraham so so the the levi's take tithes from the people their brethren even though they themselves come out of the loins of abraham with their brethren And so just going back to exodus where we see just to get the gist of this where in the torah in exodus 28 it says take you and take you unto you aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of israel so this is always within the camp of israel never going outside that he may minister unto me in the priest's office even aaron nadab and abihu eleazar and ithamar aaron's sons So Aaron and his sons were being installed into the priesthood. And in Numbers 18, again in the Torah, the Lord spoke unto Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any part among them. So that's when he's dividing up the land among the tribes. Aaron gets nothing. I am your part and your inheritance among the children of Israel. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance. So anybody who's holding back their tithe is actually robbing Levi and robbing God. And that's why in Malachi we see, well a man robbed God, that the tithe belongs to God, and he's given it to Levi, giving it to given it to the priesthood for their inheritance. Why? For their service which they serve. It's in in the God's economy, this is how he finances the the ministry of service, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come near to the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear their sin and die. So there's a structure and God is making provision for the Levites to facilitate the relationship with God and Israel. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. This is from the Torah. That among the children of israel they have no inheritance but the tithes of the children of israel which they offer as an heave offering unto the lord i have given to the levites to inherit so again don't mess with the tithe it belongs to the levites god god says it's his and he's given it to the levites therefore i have said unto them among the children of israel they shall have no inheritance and so again many people see this uh, as part of the torah part of the mosaic law but paul makes it clear that it was in place before Moses. Jacob tithed, we see that um, uh, Abraham tithed as well. And of the, so here in, uh, so I just want to point this out in Nehemiah as well, about the importance of uh, what we were saying earlier, the importance of genealogy. He says, and of the priests, so this is when Nehemiah is restoring uh, Jerusalem. And he says, of the priests, the children of Habiah and children of Kos, the children of Barzillai, which took one of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, to wife and was called after their name. So Nehemiah is coming back to Israel, to Jerusalem, and just seeing everything's a mess. They've, they've just really mess perverted themselves. He says, These, so in his cleanup campaign, these priests sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy. So genealogy really matters. But it was not found. Therefore, were they as polluted. Put from the priesthood. You don't mess around with the priesthood. So you have to be a descendant of Levi in order to serve in the priesthood. And when these people somehow slipped into the priesthood, and Nehemiah went and just was cleaning everything up and took out the registered and tried to, these were, you could imagine how earnestly and diligently they were trying to prove that they belong in the priesthood in, in order to enjoy the benefits of the priesthood, and Nehemiah just threw them like garbage out of the priesthood. So genealogy really matters. And Genesis is all about genealogy. It's all about understanding where people came from. It's all about beginnings. And yet Melchizedek shows up, no genealogy, no genealogy. So we cannot say that his priesthood can be legitimized through genealogy. It can't be, he has no genealogy. See, but here he says, coming back to Hebrews, but he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of abraham so the law says that the tithes must go to levi and yet this priest does not come from levi and yet he received tithes of abraham and he blessed him that had the promises so so very clearly now we can see that this is a different priesthood and now paul really drives this home he says and without all contradiction the less is blessed of the better Wow Abraham is so great and Paul is saying Melchizedek is far greater than Abraham and not much is said in the Bible about Melchizedek you you would be forgiven if it's a topic that you didn't study and yet Paul comes along saying I've got a lot to say about Melchizedek and by the way he's superior to the patriarch Abraham and, and there's no contradiction. And nobody can, can argue the point that the greater blesses the lesser. And then he goes on and says, And here, men that die receive tithes. So in the Torah, this great law that's set up, we're seeing that, you know what? The men who receive tithes, they die. But there, he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Melchizedek did not die. You cannot associate death with melchizedek it is witness that he lives he's he's a forever priesthood so here we see in numbers when aaron was dying that the instructions were to strip him of his garments and put them on uh, put them on his son and then aaron will be gathered to his people and he will die there and all the priests died and so there need to be provision to pass on the priesthood to the next generation to the replacement but here, Paul is saying Melchizedek you cannot associate death with him and coming back now he says and as I may so say Levi also who receives tithes paid tithes in Abraham he's really establishing the greatness of Melchizedek that all Israel is commanded they cannot hold back the tithe that doesn't belong to them they are commanded to faithfully bring the tithe to to the levitical priesthood when the levites show up you give them the tithe it's not yours and this great command that ensures that all the tithes of israel flow to levi paul is saying you know what let me tell you this levi paid tithes to melchizedek in abraham this is this is he's really establishing his point here for he was yet in the loins of his father when melchizedek met him wow this is paul is not pulling any punches here we have to understand how consider how great this one was then he says if therefore perfection were by the levitical priesthood so you you've got this levitical priesthood and you want to go back to judaism well let me say this if therefore perfection were by the levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of melchizedek and not be called after the order of aaron so so this is very very clear um reasoning that paul is asking them to consider and think through so why would there be this prophecy and it's in psalms 110 and we'll go to it shortly why would there be this prophetic word that another priesthood will arise and it would not be after the order of aaron if we have perfection in the order of aaron so so the uh, the Aaronic priesthood he says here that if therefore perfection were by the levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of melchizedek and not be called after the order of aaron now this perfection he actually alluded to it earlier in chapter 6 verse 1 when he said therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of christ let us go on unto perfection and now he's saying here that if perfection came through the judaic system the israelite system the law why would there be a prophecy of another priesthood and now he's saying let's leave the fundamentals and let us go on unto this perfection so that's what he's going to talk about now in hebrews 7 he says for the priesthood being changed the priesthood being changed there is made of necessity a change also of the law it's necessary because the torah says that the priesthood is in levi so if the priesthood changes the law has to change of necessity so here in exodus in the torah he says you shall anoint them as you did anoint their father that they may minister unto me in the priest's office for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations this is under the old covenant which they broke so they broke this covenant and so now god brings a new covenant and with this new covenant there's a change in the priesthood for he of whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar so so we can see here that um, the law must there must be a change in the law because the law says the priesthood must be through Levi but he of whom these things are spoken that is Christ pertains to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar so we know that our Lord springs from Judah why Judah well here he goes on he says for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood there is nothing about the priesthood in Judah what is in Judah well here we see in in 2nd Samuel my mercy shall not depart away from David as I took it from Saul who I put away before you. And your house, that's David's house, and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And, you know, people come up with these fake religions spreading all over the world that are basically calling God a liar because they dismiss this. And God is saying here that the throne of David is forever it's established forever this this cannot be broken so he took the kingdom away from saul and he gave it to david and he promised david he will never take the throne away from him and david is from the line of judah and so whoever sits on this throne forever must come through the line of judah as was prophesied by moses in uh the torah so coming back now to hebrews and it is yet Far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there arises another priest so we see here that the priesthood or or this this uh, Melchizedek Christ comes through the line of Judah which is a kingly line but we also know that Melchizedek is a kingly priesthood so unlike the Levitical priests who are just priests, the Melchizedekian order is an order that includes kingship. And so we're combining now the promise of kingship in Judah with the promise of an order of priesthood that is after Melchizedek. So let's see that prophecy now where uh, Paul is saying, like, why would there be a prophecy about another priesthood arising? if perfection was in Leviticus, sorry, in the in the Levitical priesthood. So let's look at this uh, prophecy in Psalms. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit you at my right hand. So the Lord said unto my Lord. David is saying the Lord, God, said unto my Lord. So David has a Lord. Sit you at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So, you know, caution, the same way the kings... Uh, were slaughtered by abraham by the help of almighty god i wouldn't go up against the sun if i were you so all you kings of the earth be wise he says the lord said unto my lord sit you at my right hand until i personally make your enemies your footstool the lord shall send the rod of strength out of zion remember he's the king of salem he's chosen zion The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule you in the midst of your enemies. So this, we're going to see this promise of priesthood includes kingship. So the Lord will rule in the midst of his enemies. The enemies will be crushed. And there are so many prophecies about this. And we went through the book of Revelation and it just tells us exactly how this is going to come to pass. Your people shall be willing in the day of your power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn, God does not go back on his oath. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So there is this Melchizedekian order that the Lord of David is a priest forever he will rule and he will be a priest he's a king and a priest after the order of melchizedek and this order is an eternal order he's without mother without father there's no genealogy he lives forever he says here uh in romans knowing that christ being raised from the dead dies no more death has no more dominion over him so he can now as the child of judah inherit the throne promised to david and also the priesthood of melchizedek coming back to hebrews who is made not after the law after a carnal commandment but after the power of an endless life did you get that melchizedek is all about eternity the king of righteousness the king of peace eternally that's the melchizedekian order He's made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifies, so so the power of the priesthood of Melchizedek is the fact that his life is eternal. For he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this is quoting Psalm 110, which because the life is endless, God can make this eternal oath on this life. For there is truly a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof so we will deal with this next week God willing when we cover Hebrews chapter 8 <clears throat> it's not that there was something wrong with the commandment it was that the people they broke the commandment they broke the covenant and so that's why it had to be disannulled and that's why there needs now to be a change in the priesthood for the law made nothing perfect that's why it's saying let us go on unto perfection you're, you're sticking to the law but the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope did this 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 eternal life with the priesthood of melchizedek this is the eternal hope this is this is what will bring us perfection by the which we draw near unto god so this this priesthood that <clears throat> this priesthood that we have now with Melchizedek, it's, it's, it's a superior order of priesthood to facilitate the relationship between God and man. And, and this, this initial priesthood was flawed. It, 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 it could not bring us to perfection. But this new level of priesthood, it is perfect. And it gives us hope into eternal life. It gives us eternal hope. And so this is, this is the hope that we have and so he goes on to say the law made nothing perfect but the bringing of a better hope did by the which we draw near unto god and inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest so god cannot go back on his oath he will never go back on his word this is over the power of an endless life he swears that he'll be a priest forever he will facilitate the relationship between man and god forever And so the passage now concludes, uh, so that's chapter 7 concluded, but I just want to go to chapter 8, verse 1, to really bring it to the full conclusion. He says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. So there is a sum. There is all of this that Paul has been arguing, has been leading to this one point. And so he says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, or this is the conclusion we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens this is the conclusion of the matter this is what paul wants the hebrews to understand and by extension he wants us to understand that the reason he's been arguing like this and trying to get us to understand the power of the melchizedekian priesthood is this now of the things which we have spoken this is the sum this this is what it all leads to we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens that's who we have as our high priest and this is who he wants the Hebrews to understand they have a relationship and this is why he said earlier when we were in chapter 4 he says let us therefore and I'll, I'll put it in here as we conclude the study this evening let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is after what we covered last week, where we covered the unpardonable sin, that there were six conditions, that if the Hebrews allowed themselves to fall into those six conditions, that they would be written off. And they absolutely would be written off. In fact, Christ warns us in John 15, that he is the vine and we are the branches. And if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. But if we do not bear fruit, then we will be gathered and burned. And that's the same thing that Paul said last week in chapter six, that if we allow ourselves to fall into the unpardonable sin, there's no more forgiveness. And so he's saying, come boldly to this high priest. Who's, he's for us, he's in our corner, he's rooting for us. He's, he's like our cheerleader and he goes to the father in the heavens and he sits you know that's the other thing that it says here is that he's he's seated by the the, 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 the the father because the work is done he's done whereas these other priests they were constantly working and sweating and it was it was heavy lifting slaughtering animals and lifting them and, and constantly working They were perspiring all the time because they were working the work is done and now this is our high priest and so this is why we need to make sure we're understanding this uh, sermon or letter to the Hebrews so that we can have confidence. This, the confidence that we need and the faith that we need is not something that we work up humanly. The courage that we need is not something that we work up humanly. This is not bravado. It's something that we work up on our knees. It's something that we work up as we humble ourselves before God and we come boldly to his throne understanding that he is of the Melchizedekian order and he is the forerunner he is the pioneer of our faith so next week we'll go into Hebrews chapter 8 God willing Uh, we'll close now Jesus Christ how glorious he is he is a king and he's our high priest and he's coming as our savior God bless